Once again, I'm Stephanie. Thank you so much for those of you who are maybe visiting with us or joining us for one of the first few times. We're really glad that you're here. And I would really love to meet you and connect with you. And I genuinely mean that I'm very extroverted. So uh, come find me. I'd love to, to, to see a face. And then uh, let us know if you want to get connected. We have the connections table in the back. And we would love to, to give you more ways to connect with Mill City Church. Before we look at God's word today, will you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this place. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you came to this earth, you became one of us, you walked amongst us in the midst of the mess, that you loved us enough to conquer death for us. And we're so thankful that we can come together to worship you here today, that we can be here freely in this public school. That is no small thing. We don't want to take it for granted. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come into this space, as we sang earlier, and God, that you would remain present here in this school. God, we plead on behalf of this school that you would make a difference amongst the students and the faculty and the staff. God, that you would be uh, making a difference in the lives of these students and their families and the various situations that they come from. God, we, we know that you love these kids, and we say that these kids that go to this school are our kids too. And so we ask, God, that you would move in their lives and you continue to lead us in knowing how to come alongside them and to come alongside this school and continue to help us learn and grow from the relationship that we have with the school. We thank you for that reciprocity. And we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word, that you'd speak to us through Joseph. God, that you would use uh, everything we say today for your glory and your kingdom to come and your will to be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, Michael started a conversation that we're going to have this month called Mission Priorities. And uh, the covenant members who are kind of like the core folks who have said, this is my community, and they have a lot of ownership of Mill City. For the last year and a half or so, we've been having these conversations about our mission, which is to love our community in the name of Jesus, which is a pretty big overarching mission. And we've been asking God the question, how do you want us to kind of focus in? What are some areas you are leading us to focus more specifically on in the midst of that larger mission? And so as we've been asking the question, how do we think God wants us to love our community in the name of Jesus in particular, from the covenant members, we've heard some pretty clear things. There was a lot of things said, but there were four major things that kind of rose to the surface that, that we as a pastoral team heard from all of you. And these are the four, what we're calling mission priorities of at least for 2017. This is what we're focusing on together. And as we talk about these four things, what we're inviting from you is to just consider, is there one of them that God might be pulling you towards this year as an area of focus more specifically than the, the four areas that our whole church will be moving towards? So those four priorities, I have a slide of what they are. The first one is how to share our gospel, the gospel with our neighbors. We call that gospel and neighbors. And Michael talked about that last week. If you missed it, it's online. Uh, today we're talking about how the gospel informs our understanding and our investment in racial justice and racial reconciliation. We call that gospel and race. Uh, and then next week, we're going to talk about how our faith in God influences our work. And we call that God at work with the at symbol, because it's cool. And <laughs> that was J.D. Larson's call, so that's cool. And then, finally, we're going to talk about our fourth mission priority, which is how we can engage with people who are on the margins uh, in some way or shape or form. There's a lot of reasons why people might be on the margins of society. So these are these major focus areas. Like I said, what might be one of the areas that you feel God just pulling your heart towards a little bit or kind of just sparks your interest? Um, we're going to give you ideas of ways to kind of step into that and to discover that together. So what is it that maybe draws your heart? And apparently, Michael decided, Pastor Michael decided, that 
it was going to be some sort of like preach-off competition. So there's a few of us that are going to be preaching this, this month, and that whoever gives the best sermon, which means you choose this as your mission priority for the year, wins. And I guess it's like one of those things where you're like, you can take the, the boy out of competitive sports, but you can't take the competitive sports out of the boy. I think that's what's happening with Michael. So there's that. And I have a competitive sports background as well. So I brought backup Joseph. <laughs> Joseph didn't know he was leveraged for some sort of very bizarre thing going on here, but thank you. Appreciate it. No, I'm, I'm actually kidding, mostly. So today, we're going to focus on what we call gospel and race. Gospel and race. And this is not a new conversation for our community. Uh, this actually has been a conversation that's a part of the very DNA of Mill City Church. We've been talking about what it means for us as Jesus followers to step into this conversation since before Mill City Church had a name, since before we had a place to worship, since before we knew pretty much barely anything about the church, this was a conversation we were having. I remember those days before Mill City Church even was Mill City Church. And more specifically, about a year and a half ago, we very specifically had a conversation by the same title, Gospel and Race, uh, for a month. Um, and so even though this weekend is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, which some people know mostly because they don't have to work on Monday, and others know for very deep and important reasons, this is not a conversation that we have once a year. This is not a conversation we have only on weekends like this. This is a part of who we are. And I would say that many of you, from hearing from many of you throughout this last year, that this is something that God has continued to put on your heart as you experience life in our city, in our world, in our country. It, there's almost a daily reminder of the conflict of this area. And many of you have said, this is something that God is pulling you towards. And as one of the lead pastors of this church, there is no doubt in my mind at this point that this is something that God is leading us to step into as a mission priority. And I recognize that it's not an easy conversation, which probably doesn't help me a lot in the competition. So, it's not easy, but we can do it. <laughs> this community, if you're new to Mill City, you might not realize, but this community does not shy away from hard conversations. I'm really actually very proud of us for being those kinds of people. We step towards hard conversations often. And maybe not every time, but that's who we are and that's who we want to be, and I'm so proud of that. Uh, Mill City Church is a diverse conversation when it comes to uh, politically and ideologically diverse. Like we, we are diverse in a lot of ways. And I'm really proud of that because maybe you've noticed that's kind of a countercultural thing to be as a community, <laughs> uh, willing to come together and not to split into two camps all the time. And I see that as to be who we are. So before we turn to the scripture today and begin to see what the Bible has to say about this, I want to put out a couple definitions and a couple disclaimers, and we've used these before, so they might not be new to you. It's important that you know what I mean when I use certain words, because otherwise we might be talking about very different things. So here's some definitions for you if we can put them on the screen. The first is a definition of the word race, a definition of the word race, and if you can't read it on the screen, I'll read it for you. Race is a social construct created to separate groups of people by physical appearance and create a hierarchy of human value. It is not something that God created, but it is a very powerful force in the world that we live in today. Um, so that's the working definition of what I mean when I'm using the word race. It's a social construct, mean, meaning that it's something that we've created socially to help us understand our world, and we're using it to define people in certain ways that are giving more or less value to other people. So in that way, it's very real, but in a lot of ways, it's socially constructed by how we engage with each other. The second definition would be the word ethnicity. Ethnicity is a combination of our language and culture that have shaped who we are. 
This is what we've talked about here in this community, about the difference between race and ethnicity. In my opinion, ethnicity is part of God's amazing creativity, something that God intentionally did to create the diversity and the beauty and diversity of the human race. So ethnicity is a combination of our language and culture that has shaped who we are. And then finally, gospel. If I'm saying it's gospel and race, what am I talking about? Gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And when we say Lord, we mean leader. We talk a lot here about how Jesus is the leader and we're trying to join in with what, with what God is doing by Jesus as our leader and the leader of the church. So those definitions make sense? Two disclaimers then, and this has to do with me. Two disclaimers about me. I realize that I'm a person of privilege. I'm somebody who's benefited from uh, the society that we live in as a middle-class, white, educated person. And so when I come to this conversation and I'm standing up here and someone gives you a microphone, there's an uneven level of power going on here, and I recognize that. And I have thought a lot about this subject. I have read about it. I have studied it. I have engaged with many communities on it, but I recognize that I come to it with a certain bias and blind spots and privilege that I can't understand what it's like to be somebody who lives in skin that looks different than mine. So I recognize that. And then my second disclaimer would be, uh, anybody who knows me knows that this is like a really deep area of passion for me. Really deep. It defines a ton of who I am and what I do every day. And so when someone tells you you have one chance to talk about that for a short period of time, that's very difficult because it's going to feel like it's not getting to the heart of it for me. So I promise you I'm going to do my best to do that and to engage in that today. And uh, part of being able to do that is welcoming Joseph here to share his story because in a lot of ways that can speak to the heart of things much, much differently than I can. So Joseph, could you come on up? And he's going to start our time with this poem, and then he's going to conclude with a poem as well. So let's welcome him up one more time. Kindergarten, the worst three years of my life. Now, don't get me wrong, being a child is mostly carefree. You know, um, I got to hang out with the homies for like six hours a day. It was socially acceptable for me to pee myself. I wasn't worried about the moral implications of trading a juice box for a kiss or the futility in trading a chocolate chip cookie for somebody else's chocolate chip cookie. In other words, being a kid was awesome until it wasn't. It all began with a, Joseph, what color is this duck? Green, I said, with all of the innocence that I could muster, to which my friend Harold responded, no, dummy, ducks are yellow. The underworld opened up to greet me. Satan and his dementors crawled up my box of crayons to kiss away my dignity, my name, replacing it with colorblind. And so it began. Oh, you're colorblind. What color is this? What about this? Wait, so you only see gray like a dog? Are you allowed to, like, drive? And my personal favorite, oh, you're colorblind. Explains why you dress like that. I was a mere whisper of the boy I once was. To the people that think being colorblind is the best response to racism, mm-mm. It took me 18 years to find God in the darkness to realize that I didn't need light skin in order to be the sun, I am the sun. 
of African kings and queens, of a heritage so deep, so wide that it scared the world, and you want to take this from me. You want to strip me clean, bleach away the parts of me that make you feel uncomfortable, that make you confuse me for target or gun, some makeshift home for a bullet. We are not the same. When white ancestors put a boot to my neck, we don't get to pretend it's not there. The answer to racism is not in forgetting the past. The past is not the only place it exists. The color of our skin carries so much weight. I can understand why sometimes you want to set it down, but when you say colorblind, you are asking me to forget. Forget just this small part of who I am, as if I'm worth something despite the unfortunate color of my skin. You are asking me to pretend. Pretend like we're all born with a blank slate. Pretend like some things haven't already been chosen for me. When you say colorblind, you are asking me to do something that I have never had the privilege to. Blindness is never a solution. Don't you dare close your eyes. Look at me. Look at me and tell me what you see. Tell me you see me, a black boy with so much to be afraid of but the biggest smile you've ever seen because he has so much to be thankful for, a black boy with a heart of gold or silver or bronze. It doesn't matter what place a racist system puts me in. I still have a heart and it is still beating. I am alive and that means something. I'm a black boy and that means something. It means I made it to today before any racism could erase me. It means I made it to today with every ounce of who I am. It means I made it, I'm here and you have another chance to treat me like I deserve to be. Thank you, Joseph, for being here with us. It's a privilege to have you here with us today. In that poem, Joseph said these words, the answer to racism is not in forgetting the past, for the past is not the only place it exists. The color of our skin carries so much weight, I can understand when you want to set it down. And I think about those words, and I think about how honored I've been to be in relationship with people, many people, with many different ethnic backgrounds who are committed to being a reconciler, committed to being people who step into racial justice. Because being a reconciler is not something that you can check off a list. It's actually something you decide is going to be your identity. It's gonna be a lifelong pursuit. It's gonna be something that if you choose to pick it up, you're gonna to have to choose not to set it down. It's a forever thing. And it's one that I personally would suggest is not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's my personal opinion and my personal experience. I've decided in my life that this is who I am, that this is an identity that I've chosen. And I know that many of you have decided that as well. And the truth about that reality though is that it's heavy, it's weighty, it takes energy and strength to hold on to it. It's an identity that carries so much weight. And as Joseph said, I can understand why people wanna set it down. People wanna set down this, this constant understanding of how their skin color and the skin color of other people exist within this, this racialized society and how the, the way in which this social construct tends to overvalue and undervalue different people. I can understand why people wanna put it down. And for people of privilege, it would be easy to set it down. It would be easy to wake up and just not pick it up every morning. It's something that you wouldn't have to, but the reality is that for those who are oppressed because of the color of their skin, it's not really a choice to pick that up every day. 
They, they have to carry the weight of the reality of the color of their skin every single day. And while Joseph so uh, you know, aptly explained his experience of finding out that he was physically colorblind, he does not have the ability to afford being colorblind to the reality of the color of his skin and the color of the skin of the people around him. That's what his story was suggesting. But here's the thing. I think, I know actually, with God's help, that this is a burden that we can choose to pick up and doesn't have to be too heavy to bear. I believe that it can be that. I've experienced that. The choice then to see the problem of racism and the systemic injustice that permeates our world has a distinct calling for people who are followers of Jesus. Let me say that again. The choice to see the problem of racism and the systemic injustice that comes from that as a, is a distinct calling for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Now notice I didn't say that it is a calling depending on who you follow politically. I said it's a calling for people who are followers of Jesus. Are there political implications? Sure, but it doesn't have to do with who you follow in that arena. Followers of Jesus are invited to step into this. This is part of who we are. We uh, put this up on the slide. This is our kind of statement that we made a couple years ago about this, and it's true today. We need to cross racial and ethnic boundaries in order to understand and live out the gospel. This is not an option, but a necessary part of what it means to be a gospel person. And when we say gospel person, we mean a good news person. To be a good news person, we need to cross racial and ethnic boundaries in order to live out the gospel, to be good news people. In the story of the Bible, we see this imperative throughout the whole story that compels us towards a sense of unity and diversity. Not uniformity, right? Unity in diversity, not uniformity. Diversity is a blessing and racism is a curse. Diversity is something God invites us into and racism is not what God intended for his beloved children. There's a call, I would say, in that story of God for the people of God to step up into justice, to make the wrong things right, to participate in making the wrong things right. That's what justice is about. There's an invitation also for us to see ourselves and other human beings as image bearers of God, as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters, as people who look very, very different but all bear the image of the same loving God. That's an amazing reality. No matter the color of our skin, we are co-heirs to a throne of the kingdom of God alongside Jesus. That's the way we're described in this story. Co-heirs to the throne of the kingdom of God, which is a greater kingdom than any other country or government or any other system that we've set up here. We are co-heirs to that throne alongside Jesus together with people who look different than us and similar to us and everything in between. Thus, there is this reality then for us, an opportunity really, to see God in a deeper way because of diversity, to see the reflection of who God is in a way that we never could if we just spent time around people who are the same as us. We have to see that God came to this earth in the form of a human, a human who had multi-ethnic blood running through his veins. That's not something up for debate. That is in Jesus' genealogy. Multi-ethnic blood running through the veins of this God-man, who came and walked amongst us and became one of us when God didn't have to do that. Jesus came then to be the great reconciler. Jesus came to be the great reconciler, meaning he uh, dismantled or destroyed the barrier between us and God, reconciling us to God, and he tore down the barriers between us and each other. Barriers that we have with people who look like us and people who look different than us. 
Jesus is the reconciler. So today, I want to suggest that to be able to participate in what I want to call gospel racial justice, we need to keep Jesus at the center of that. Because that's what makes it possible, in my opinion. So I want to read Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. This is part of a letter from Paul. Paul was a leader in the early church, and he's writing this letter to a church in Ephesus, a city. And uh, this church, very similar to ours, uh, Mill City Church, and the church of the 21st century, is very much struggling with how to have unity and diversity. They are deeply struggling with that. God had made it really clear that two very distinct groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, were now to become one. But guess what? That was way harder than they thought. Way harder. And so, uh, similar to today, it was way harder. And so Paul is writing, explaining to this church in Ephesus, what is the role of Jesus at the center of this conversation? So let me read it for you today. It'll be up here on the screen. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And actually, he goes on even more to talk about this unity and diversity. So what are we hearing here? What are we hearing Paul say? Christ Jesus has come to those who are far away and those who were near by the blood of Jesus, conquering death on the cross. Jesus is our peace. This concept here is shalom. It's so much deeper than just an absence of conflict. It's this deep reality where all things are made right. Jesus is our peace. Jesus has made these diverse groups one, we heard Paul say. Jesus has destroyed the barrier of hostility, this dividing wall of hostility that we still see exists today, but Jesus destroyed it so we can choose to let him do that for us. Jesus' purpose then was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, making this peace, this shalom come. Jesus reconciled both of these groups of people in one way, and that was through the cross, where the wall of hostility can come down, the death to that hostility. And so through Jesus, then it ends there. Through Jesus, we all have access to the Father by one spirit. So as you engage with people who are different than you, by ethnicity or race or gender or all the other ways in which we find diversity in our world today. What I'm inviting you to do is to imagine Jesus at the center. Almost maybe like imagine Jesus right there between you, like standing in between you and the other person who's different than you so that you can't help but see them through who Jesus is as the reconciler. When we each look at each other through Jesus, we can't be colorblind. Do you realize how profound this is, Jesus being the reconciler, standing in the gap between us? And, and when we see somebody else, we can't be colorblind. All we can see is the beauty and the richness and the diversity that God created for us to step into. It doesn't mean that there will be no more conflict or strife or hostility, but the beginning of that being put to death has already happened on the cross. And when we engage with somebody with Jesus at the center, when we engage with groups of people together with Jesus at the center, something different happens. Hostility can be put to death. 
And in my opinion, I don't think it's possible without him. And thus, we find ourselves in our city and in our country today. The social construct of race continues to label certain people as less than others. But I really believe that we are the people called to lead moving forward in that and to wrestle through these difficult realities as it's happening around us all the time. Jesus, who reconciled us to God, which was an amazing miracle, then took it a whole step further to reconcile us to each other. But the reality is, is that it's not going to be easy, as I said earlier. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that most things worth doing in life are really not easy. Has anybody else noticed that? A lot of times you're thinking, this is really worth doing, but this is really hard. That's how we've experienced the engagement period. Yeah. <laughs> most things worth doing aren't easy. What we'll have to do to be people who live out what I'm calling this gospel racial justice is not going to be easy. Let me just name some of the things we're going to have to do, in my opinion. We're going to have to be intentional. We're going to have to listen well. We're going to have to be willing to admit when we're wrong. We're going to have to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're going to have to confront our privileges. We all have them. We're going to have to discover our implicit bias towards difference. Differences, these biases we don't even know we have sometimes. We're going to have to risk feeling uncomfortable. And people really don't like that, especially in Minnesota. We are going to have to spend time in places that we typically haven't. We're going to have to step towards the chaos that this issue is creating and not run from it. And if we're looking for an example of how to do that, we see it in the life of Jesus. We're going to have to be honest with God and honest with each other and honest with ourselves. And most importantly, we're going to need to keep Jesus at the center. I, I just think that there's no other way to do it. We have to. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by keeping Jesus at the center? It means we're going to have to see others through Jesus as our reconciler. We're going to have to engage with what that means to let Jesus stand in the gap between us to every day and every interaction be tearing down the wall of hostility. I think keeping Jesus at the center means that we're going to need to forgive others and we're going to need to ask for forgiveness the way that Jesus taught us. In fact, Jesus says, don't ask me for forgiveness until you've asked for it from other people and you've forgiven them. It's going to take a lot of humility to do that because I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like our collective gut reaction is to be defensive. I'm not defensive, you're defensive, right? And then I think, finally, I think we're going to have to fast and pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us. And that might seem like a new understanding to some of you. What does it mean to implore upon the Spirit of God to help us do something? Well, I would say, you guys, racism is powerful and it is evil, and we need to treat it as such. We can't be messing around here. There isn't time to mess around. We have to constantly and consistently ask God to lead us and to empower us in this way. So, to be able to participate in gospel racial justice, we have to keep Jesus at the center. Uh, you all should have gotten one of these little bookmarks when you came in. If you didn't, I'm sure there's some on the way out. You could pull that out. Um, for each of these priorities, we're just giving you just a few things to, to consider trying, okay? Um, if you're thinking, man, you're saying these four priorities, and I really don't know which one I should step towards, a great place to start would be trying some of the things on this little bookmark, okay? 
So this bookmark is our uh, gospel and race one. As you can see, it's bolded at the top. And I have some thoughts for you that I would suggest are, are good starting places. So the first thing is about what you read. Man, you guys, what you read and what you take in has a lot to do with how you engage in implicit bias against other people or towards other people. Um, so some first stops, in my opinion, would be to read the book Disunity in Christ by Christina Cleveland, another book, America's Original Sin by Jim Wallace. Um, Christina's a good friend of mine, and I've spent time around Jim as well in person, and I, I really think these are a good place to start. There are lots and lots of books about this subject, but I would encourage you as a place to start. I don't necessarily agree with every single thing, but I think that this is a good place to start. Acts 10, that story in the Bible is the story of God bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles. This would be a great uh, chapter to meditate on. The next thing you can do as you move down is to join. And what we have here is a list of a few of our missional communities. Missional communities are kind of like group life here at Mill City. These are groups of people who are sometimes different sizes of groups, but they are extended family type people who connect with each other towards a specific mission. And so all of our missional communities have a mission. There's, there's wonderful ones. I'd encourage you to try any of them out, but there's four that I think specifically will help you move towards this mission priority. The first is the Action and Awareness Missional Community. Their mission is to join God in pursuing racial and economic justice in our city. They are very, very intentionally, specifically working on this mission priority. And so that would be a group to consider. The next one would be Ren Missional Community, which is a group of people loving the Chinese students at the University of Minnesota in the name of Jesus. There are a ton of Chinese students, and they have built some beautiful relationships with them already. Nuestro Puente which is a group that means our bridge in Spanish. And they are building bridges with those in the Latino community in the name of Jesus. And then finally, the refugee missional community. They are coming together to love a Somali fam refugee family in the name of Jesus and spending time with those folks. So I'd encourage you to check that out. All of the missional communities and all their contact info are at millcitychurch.com. And then if you flip it over, it has a try. What's one thing you can try? The action and awareness uh, community has been focusing on starting with confronting our implicit bias, okay? So that means uh, a bias you have against difference, people that are different than you, we all have it. Studies have shown that over and over again. We all have an implicit, meaning a bias that's not explicit, we don't know we have it, towards difference, okay? This is not something I think God created. This is a reality of being in a broken world. And there's a test you can take for free that helps you confront some of those implicit biases. Actually, not just race, but other ones as well. So if you go to Google, have you heard of Google? Okay, cool. Connie knows about Google. And just Google Harvard Project Implicit, and it'll come up, and you can take it for free. And then finally, I think we need to pray. And I would say one thing we can pray for in this area is for God's leadership in building relationships with people different than you and advocating when you witness racism or find yourself participating in it. Um, we need God's leadership in that. And I'm going to add one more thing to pray for, for empowerment from the Holy Spirit to live as reconcilers, to be able to carry that burden and that weight, to let Jesus carry that with us. I'm going to invite the band to come back up so that they're up here as Joseph finishes in a minute. Um, but I have one final invitation of a way for you to act specifically, and I'm sharing this invitation on behalf of Nuestro Puente, the missional community, like I said, that connects with the Latino community. This missional community have connected with the Lowry Grove Trailer Park residents. So there's a trailer park in St. Anthony, very close to here. And the residents there who are majority Latino um, are in a spot where a developer has bought the property that they own their homes on. 
and they're all forced to move out. And many of these people have lived in this space as really like an extended family since they were born. And now they're having to move out and there is very, very little being given to help them even relocate. And there is little to none as far as affordable housing in St. Anthony. So the kids will have to leave their schools, et cetera. And there's shrinking affordable housing here in Northeast, which is the closest to St. Anthony. So Nuestro Puente has been serving in this awesome way as interpreters at community meetings. So our community that represents us, uh, Nuestro Puente, has been able to come in and to interpret, to be able to br take, uh, be a bridge then even very tangibly by language to be able to help people understand each other. And what this community has come and said is, it's very clear that the people in this community's voices are not being heard. And the, the people that are a part of that community are, are, are convinced at this point that there's a racial aspect to that, that their voices are not being heard. And so today, the invitation to you is just to sign a petition that the residents of Lowry Grove have to say, hey, we think that we should be treated better as we're being forced to move out of our neighborhoods. And the sign says, just because we have mobile homes doesn't mean we want to move. So Nuestro Puente is going to be here. There's going to be some people maybe right over here, guys, and then they'll be in the back with some clipboards. And if you could just lend your name to that advocacy to help their voices be heard. Some of the leaders of the Lowry Grove community have said, if the Christians won't raise their voice for us, who will? So you have an invitation to do that, and you can hear more from Nuestro Puente about that, and maybe if you want to get involved even more. So to be able to participate in gospel racial justice, we have to keep Jesus at the center. Uh, Joseph can, can come up before we close in worship. He's going to share another piece of his story. Um, and then we're going to go into a time of worship where we can begin to respond in prayer in these ways and maybe any other way that God has um, put on your heart. Not all my boys had fathers, but we all had them hands. We learned how to loot respect from busted jawbones and shattered ankles. We chiseled our name into every pickup game, looking for a hope that we couldn't find in the mouths of white men made immortal in white pages, looking for trouble, you might say. And trouble was an octave only heard in the short breaths between our laughter, the kind that worried older folks we were miracles. Disappearing acts in broad daylight. Too much fire for such small bodies of water, brown-eyed dares, hearts pounding against the asphalt. A Nike ad in which a black boy scales a telephone pole, his fingers stretching toward a pair of Jordans hanging from the power lines. He's old enough to know the importance of running. He's young enough not to know who to be running from. Home sat in our mouth like a song that we hadn't gotten tired of yet that we hadn't yet learned to trade for respect. Jaquan tells us that the girls are becoming women and I am looking at his mouth. That year, I learned not to love anything that looks like me. That year, 
Phil's cousin gets shot outside his house for false claiming. Our parents tell us to get inside and call the police. That same year, we watch someone's dad get his face smashed into the sidewalk by two cops, and we do not know who to call. And that was our superpower, learning far too much, far too quickly, but still managing to be wet giggles on a summer night. Give us corners, and we would show you kingdoms. Give us parking lots, and we will build you football stadiums. Give us nothing, and we will still come home covered in dirt and magic and to ask our mamas about the dirt to tell you how every day we came home two shades darker looking more like God than we would ever know born waist deep in quicksand told to pull ourselves out of it without shedding any blood they say what about the good ones what about those nice black boys that make it out of the hood and make something of themselves as if we were not becoming before they suggested it, as if we were not already good, as if our excellence could be confined by their American dream and our dreams. We were happy and free and there was no reason to run anymore. In our dreams, we were astronauts and pirates and presidents and dragons. We were children sitting on someone's auntie's porch our hearts swelling with glory and wonder, our fingers stretching towards an orange sun, all the brilliance and beauty cradling our skin, promising us tomorrow. <laughs>